On this week's episode, we recap our MAGFest 2016 experience, including all of this past weekend's personal highlights and games we played at the Indie Showcase. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016, and you're listening to the 1P vs. 2P podcast. I'm Taylor Ray. With me, as always, is my brother and co-host, Ryan Ray. And this was your first time coming. I've been to MAGFest for several years at this point because uh, I've been living in the D.C. area for for several years now. Tell me, Ryan, what are your thoughts on it? What did you think? Did you have some fun? Yeah, you know, I had a lot of fun at MAGFest, uh, despite being super cynical about it beforehand. Uh, I would say overall it was a positive experience, but it's not one I would want every single year. It feels a little bit like a nerd Mardi Gras uh, as somebody uh, said, walking by uh, at the convention. But uh, it, it is something I recommend checking out at least once. Yeah, like I said, I've been for several years. I think I've been there ever since, I would say, 2012. It's hard for me to keep track. I, I've lost count. But it's so awesome to see this event really explode over the years. I remember attending, and it was only, I don't know, somewhere around the 10,000 attendee count, uh, if, if it was even that. And now this year we're talking 20,000 people. I mean, it was so obvious the way uh, MAGFest filled up the Gaylord. I mean, the crowds and lines for some of this stuff was just insane, something I'd never seen before. And, and it's truly different from other conventions that I attended like PAX South earlier this year. And I'm not one that normally attends uh, other gaming conventions, really. MAGFest is only the one I go to annually, so I just think it's just so smart. The people there are are so approachable. It definitely has this more indie vibe to it, less of a corporate atmosphere than what you would see at an event like PAX or E3, although I've never been to an E3. It's just a lot of interesting people on a lot of interesting panels. Of course, a ton of games and even this year, it was the largest I've ever seen it. I mean, between the free play console space and an arcade space and the indie showcase, all of it was the biggest I'd ever seen. And it's only going to get bigger from here uh, as people spread the word. It's just going to become more and more popular. And I love to see that. It, it really is kind of this yearly tradition for me, like I said before. But yeah, it, it's really the convention that I call home personally. Yeah, it just seems like a four-day festival of pure, unabashed enthusiasm about video games. Yeah, it really is, because like other cons, of course, you have groups of friends, most of them are local to the D.C. area, that, that come and hang out, and they may party and drink over the weekend and stay at the Gaylord or some other close-by hotels. Of course, uh, we headed home uh, every single night. We were only there until, I would say, about like 10 or 11 each night. And we weren't there for the late night concerts. So the music part of MAGFest wasn't a huge draw for us. I would say the live performances, right, Ryan? Absolutely. I mean, of course, there were uh, such uh, chiptune artists such as Ben Briggs and uh, Grimecraft and a bunch of others uh, that were performing uh, kind of in the halls. And a lot of their music was being blasted out. And uh, a lot of it based around video games, of course. Um, the composer for the famous composer for the Mega Man series, uh, of course, was there. And a lot of talks are uh, based around music. Uh, very interesting stuff to kind of hear and, and what witness. And of course, uh, there was a huge concert space for people interested in that. 
Yeah, and despite all of that, and that's the major draw for a lot of people, and it's sort of how MAGFest really uh, got its roots and got super popular, but we were more involved in the gaming side. We were a lot more interested in that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Taylor, let's talk about your personal highlights of the show. What did you like most about MAGFest this year? The arcade space for me is always a huge highlight. It's awesome to see like everyone crowded around a bunch of arcade machines and again this year had the most i'd ever seen like a whole like show floor size space dedicated to just arcade machines pinball machines a lot of rhythm based games there there was a lot of ddr machines uh and i know we stopped by a few because despite that huge number like i said twenty thousand people supposedly at, at this whole weekend like, you could still walk up to a machine and not wait very long, if at all, just to play. So we stopped by Windjammers, uh, that classic Neo Geo game. They had a dedicated cabinet for that, which was great because if you were playing on that machine, it was actually being multicasted two TVs up on this rafter rig up above us. So if you wanted to watch, you, you could watch above. And a, and a lot of tournaments, a lot of hosted tournaments... Uh, for things like NBA Jam and DDR, uh, a lot, a lot of arcade machines there. There were pinball tournaments where you could win some prizes. It, it's so cool. And console tournaments as well, a lot of Smash. Uh, I mean, every single one, you had Brawl, Melee, even the N64 one, a lot of setups for those games. But yeah, they even had at the the free play console area, MAGFest plays Pokemon, which is kind of like a take on the whole Twitch plays Pokemon phenomenon. And they had these individual, like, physical buttons, these huge sort of, like, doomsday buttons you could push. And they were scattered around the, the, the floor. And you had to coordinate with other people and play the original Pokemon. I, I'm not sure if it was red or blue. I, I guess it doesn't matter. But each button corresponded to a, a, a different input on the Game Boy. So, for example, if I was on like the back left corner of the room, that might be the left button. And someone on the far side of the show floor might have the A button. So you had to work to try to beat Pokemon uh, within the weekend. And, and, and I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, live rock band that was projected on the wall. Uh, and uh, they even had like sanctioned Pokemon League stuff where you could go up and, 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 and propose trades and battle with other people. A huge fighting scene there. Street Fighter V was there because... It had just come out earlier earlier last week, so yeah, it, it, it's just a blast. I mean, if you're not even there for, for the music, there's a ton of games to check out there. And what about you? What were some of the highlights uh, for yourself? For me, a personal highlight was it was really cool to see Temi Chang, the illustrator behind Undertale, uh, appear at MAGFest and meet fans and do autographs. And that game is a game largely about enthusiasm and excitement and Temi was just very excited to be at MAGFest at the spectacle of the whole thing there were lines to meet her and she was probably the biggest name uh as far as indie developers go uh at at MAGFest and just a very nice person it was good to meet one of the the many faces behind Undertale it's not just Toby Fox and I sincerely hope that she continues working on games because she's a very nice person very professional and uh, somebody whose art definitely made Undertale a big indie game from last year. And she was sitting at like a merch booth and was selling some of her art. And we were there on Thursday, the very first day of MAGFest. And her stuff had sold out. Like immediately, there was this huge Undertale fandom present there. A lot of cosplayers dressing up as 
Sans and Papyrus and other characters there. Like a lot of Undertale fans that I really wasn't expecting. Yeah, we actually talked to a developer of Read Only Memories, and he said it was kind of unfortunate the timing of the release of his game because it came out maybe a few days after Undertale came. And Read Only Memories was the developers behind that. We're, we're really hoping that they want, would be to be the indie game du jour of that time. And then, of course, Undertale took and kind of stole their thunder a little bit. Uh, people still really enjoyed Read Only Memories. I recommend you check that game out, too. But uh, Undertale, for sure, had a big presence at MAGFest. Yeah, and Read Only Memories specifically was one of the few games at the indie showcase that was already released. The vast majority of them were either in this pre-alpha, alpha, or beta stages that they were showing off and trying to get feedback from players in general. Like, you'd sit down and play, and these could be PC games, even VR games, uh, console exclusives, and they would actually ask you at the end of your PlayStation, so what did you think? Was it hard? Do I need to put a tutorial? Those kinds of things. So l- let's get right to it. Let's let's talk about some of the indie games that we, that we saw there. We interviewed a lot, so eventually... I'm going to be editing these videos and posting them throughout the week and sharing them on Facebook and Twitter. So we'll be sure to include those links and I'll update those in the show notes as we go along this week. And we talked to a lot of indie devs there and they were so enthusiastic and so happy to be there because of the just the sheer amount of people that got their hands on the on these games. And the indie showcase was as big as I've ever seen it. It used to be just a handful of people somewhere between the number of like maybe 10 to 15, if at all. And and this year, it was just filled with a ton, a ton of devs. So, so why, Ryan, why don't you talk about some of your highlights? What were some of the ones that you that really stood out to you this weekend? Uh, one of the first games we played was a game called Robo Puzzle Smash. This is a game that kind of has the luminous aesthetic. It's a puzzle game, uh, one player versus two player. And basically, it's a game where you rotate this bo- board with uh, lots of squares, and you drop the squares to try to clear them, uh, a la uh, Super Puzzle Fighter Turbo style. By clearing them, you try to put a bunch of garbage on uh, your opponent's board. And uh, it has a really interesting mechanic. It's it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around the first time you play it. But it was really, really fun, really, really stylistic. Kind of one of the more simple games that we saw. And I have to say that puzzle games uh, of late have really been in the Bejeweled Match 3 style. And it's it's been interesting to see uh, you know a game like this come back and bring back the kind of Luminous block-based style puzzle game back. It's something I've really been kind of pining for. Luminous is super popular. Uh, Tetris Attack, of course. Pokemon Puzzle League. Uh, I like block-based puzzle games. Yeah, I I like that one a lot. It has this like 3D block pixel aesthetic to it, which gave it a certain amount of charm. The guy even had built like a a mini cabinet, like an arcade machine that was like a tabletop thing that was pretty cool to play on. Uh, we played with controllers, I believe, but I believe he said, if I can recall correctly, he's aiming for a PC release and then eventually explore console ports. But it, it was it was a neat concept. And you, you see a lot of these like uh, drop block puzzle style games, but this interesting me- mechanic of rotating and then all the blocks rotating at once uh, made it kind of fun. It, it was very fun to, to to play against each other in that game. That was the first one we checked out, but let's move on to... This one had the longest line by far on any given day this past weekend. It was the this two-developer team called Studio 217, and we interviewed them. We've already posted our video interview of them, and they were demoing this Oculus VR game called Mr. Mart, 
which was so wacky. Ryan, can you describe it? Yeah, it's a uh, supermarket game where you kind of play a store clerk and uh, customers are bringing you items and you try to put the items in the shopping basket to gain points. And then the uh, customers try to make you anxious or stressed out. And if you get too stressed out, you get get a game over. And it's a game, you know, of course, using the Oculus headset and really kind of immersing you in that kind of experience. And uh, it it was very popular. You could see people kind of uh, wildly flailing the arms. Very funny to look at. And uh, it's one of those games that... Uh, definitely an early Oculus title, definitely has a lot of potential, and uh, something that just looks like, honestly, a lot of fun. Uh, it, it has kind of shades for me of uh, Octodad, uh, kind of uh, wacky, zany, uh, offbeat kind of game, and it just, it to be honest, it looked really, really fun. I love seeing these kinds of early VR games, and like to have... It's this first-person perspective, of course, and you're you're trying to manage so many things. It's this physics-based thing where you're trying to shove... A grocery items into this basket and type prices and 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 type your name even when you're entering the high score into like this cash register next to you and you have to slap away the customers that are running up to you which i thought was a hilarious mechanic mechanic and and in watching people do this <laughs> standing at this booth was absolutely hysterical they had to kick out people because they were just playing the game for too long that's how fun and addicting this thing was People were just staying on for like 15, 20 minutes. Meanwhile, this huge line was forming behind them. And that wasn't the only thing that was attracting people to their table. There was another very cool mobile game they had set up on a tablet on a very small table. And they were showing their game Circles, which from what they told us, they had developed over a weekend. And basically, it's like Finger Twister, if I can describe it. And so they have these little circles that are on screen and... Each person you can play, I think they said somewhere, it's like four, eight, ten people, something like that. And they stand around, put their finger in the circle, and these circles move around, and they can crisscross. So you have to do your best not to lift your finger off the board or you lose, and you have to try to last as long as possible. It seems like a really fun little party game to it, and they're planning on releasing that on iOS and Android very soon so so be on the lookout for that it was it was very fun to see definitely could see that being used at, at a lot of fun parties taylor i see a game on this list that you checked out it's a shmup called legacy of the elder star tell me about your experience playing that game yeah it was a side scrolling shmup and basically it had one to one movement with the mouse you're controlling this character in space you you're equipped with this jetpack but also like a standard gun and it has bullet hell uh, style gameplay, but you could use your jetpack to like uh, hold the right mouse button to click, hold, and then shove your character into the enemies to kind of like ram yourself into them and defeat them on screen. And of course, you have a limited amount of meter uh, of your jetpack that you can use before it recharges again. It, it, it was very neat. It had a few little frame rate hitches, so I think they need to tighten it up, but of course, it's not. It's not in a, a release state at this point. A lot of these indie games that were at the showcase were, were, were not ready to be released uh, in the extreme near future. But it was a, it was a very cool game. Uh, definitely uh, check that out. I signed up for their email newsletter to to see when when they're going to put out that game. Yeah, Legacy of the Elder Star, though, d- definitely worth, worth looking out to. Another game that I thought was interesting was a PS4 exclusive that they're developing first. Do you remember this one? What was it? Blade Ballet? Do you remember that one? Yes, Blade Ballet. This is a game, uh, four-player competitive, much in the style of games like Towerfall, 
Uh, you play these robots who try to destroy each other, kind of like uh, Rock'em Sock'em robots. And uh, the robots have different powers. I played as a bowling ball character who kind of swung a, a ball. There was you played as a character with a sword, if I remember correctly. Uh, and there were there were some other robots with. with and they, of course, you can jump. There are special abilities. There are arenas um, designed to kind of uh, destroy you. Uh, one with a like laser that kind of shot shot at you. Uh, there was one that was a conveyor belt that would try to knock you off, and a, a bunch of other uh, you know kinds of arenas. A very interesting concept, very cool concept, something I could see really uh, working on the PS4. And uh, as one of our, our friends noted, it seems like a lot of games these days are going for that split-screen co-op experience and are kind of going after that Rocket League money. Um, you know, Rocket League was very popular last year, and Blade Ballet definitely seems to be going after a very similar audience. But I have to say, in the five minutes that we checked it out, it was a lot of fun, and I could see myself firing that game up at a party. Yeah, it was very neat. Uh, you know, it made for a lot of tense moments because you're you're controlling these very awkward robots. They they don't move particularly well, and you sort of have to build momentum. And the reason why it's called Blade Ballet is because you're literally spinning with whatever weapon uh, you have equipped. And like you said, these these wacky levels that are that are just throwing all these obstacles at you give it a, like a, a, a also another huge challenge. Kind of reminded me of that old. Fusion Frenzy game, there was like this one particular uh, like ball roll cage game where you're trying to knock each other off in like an ever-evolving uh, environment. And, and it reminded me a lot of that. It, it, yeah, uh, and their website is bladeballet.com and they marketed it as this robot rumba kind of thing. So yeah, I, I found it interesting that they're working directly with Sony to, to put that out first and working on potential ports later on. Usually, typically, you don't see that. A lot of these indie devs that were there at MAGFest were strictly working on PC first before even considering bringing it over to consoles, if at all. So, uh, definitely interesting. W worth, uh, again, another game worth checking out. Uh, and and this was a, another very popular one, and also four-player, up to four-player, I should say. What are they calling it nowadays? Like, couch competitive style? Clash Cup Turbo. Remember that one, Ryan? Yes, absolutely. So this is a game that, uh, as we talked to the developer, uh, they said was based on a Super Famicom game uh, originally called Sanrio World Smash Ball. This is a Hello Kitty game uh, where you basically try to... Uh, it's a sports game where you try to uh, bash a ball against these barriers and try to get it into the opponent's goal. So this is a game very much inspired by that game, Clash Cup Turbo. Uh, very much very similar to that. If you're not familiar... Um, yeah, this, this game is very much like a sports title. Uh, uh like you said, a four player competitive, uh, couch game. They didn't talk anything about, uh, online multiplayer at all, but very, very fun. The, uh, characters you control have different abilities. I played as a character who had the ability to clone himself. Um, there was a character who had a black hole ability, which, um, made the ball kind of, uh, have a little more weight and gravity to it. And it spun it around the, the arenas. And, uh, yeah, very, very fun, very, very fast-paced, um, kind of a game that uh, they ascribe to being like like ice hockey, uh, air hockey. And uh, I have to say, <laughs> uh, you really uh, know that uh, the developer is really behind this game. When the developer flies out his mom to uh, <laughs> help promote the game, Yeah, mom was very excited to help promote uh, her son uh, with Clash Cup Turbo. Uh, it was very, very fun for the 10 minutes that we played of it. And uh, I look forward to uh, it coming out. He didn't really say what platforms it was coming out, however. Yeah, true. And from what I can tell from like their 
their teaser footage that they put out there. It's not super obvious what it's supposed to come out for. So we'll have to, we'll have to touch base with them again because that's, that's a game that I think I'll buy eventually when it comes out. It was so, so fun. Route 76 was the name of the, uh, small studio root spelled R O O T not like the root, like state highway. So if you want to follow them uh, about clash cup turbo, it's this very, very neat, uh, almost like this, Tower defense block ball game is the best way I can describe it and summarize it in just a few words. Very, very, very fun. Uh, very cool abilities. I played as like this robot character who uh, could summon like this black hole, which would change the trajectory, the physics of the ball that's flying around the very small arena. So it would kind of like uh, whip it around and, and zip it like in this circular motion uh, to a, uh, other opponents uh, goals. Very, very, very fun. A very memorable game. Very popular booth as well. Let's talk about some of these other single player experiences. One of the first games that you actually um, sat down and talked to the dev at length for was a game called Liege. Remember that one? Yes, this is a, a tactics game uh, inspired by the likes of Fire Emblem and Final Fantasy Tactics. Very cool art style, uh, hand-drawn watercolor, I would say. This game is in a very alpha state had very rudimentary tutorials in it but basically you play as a uh, in this fantasy setting as a character trying to escape this castle and uh uncovering allies and friends uh alike and basically you you move these characters kind of on a grid but also uh every time you move they the characters have a circular range and that kind of determines what their attack range is what their movement range is um, they also had this kind of interesting parry repose system, so you could kind of uh, move in, and if you didn't have enough range to attack the enemy, you'd kind of put your character in kind of a counter stance, and if the enemy came and attacked you, you could either deflect the attack if it was a ranged arrow strike, or if uh, it was a melee strike, you could kind of counter and do a little bit of uh, damage. I wasn't playing very well. Uh, playing <laughs> a tactics game in this kind of setting uh, isn't recommended. There's a lot of pressure to kind of perform <laughs> with the dev standing right behind you. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I would say it controlled very well, and uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, a lot of tactics games uh, are coming are coming back with the release, uh, recent release of Fire Emblem Fates and uh, XCOM 2. I really love this genre. It's probably my favorite genre in all video games, and uh, I really look forward to Liege eventually uh, coming out. Uh, he, he said he was targeting PC, and uh, didn't say much else about uh, other platforms uh, for this release. Yeah, I have his little promo card he was handing out, and it's described as a dark fantasy in JRPG form with a modern tactical twist. It actually reminded me a lot of Chrono Trigger, and he mentioned that the game was inspired by that as well. In the way it looks, I mean, you, you have this sort of overhead view, and your, your character looks like something out of out of a chrono trigger and the sort of the it's not it wasn't active was it it was it turn based i i can't remember it 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 was definitely turn based it was definitely turn based so different from chrono trigger sort of this like active uh time battle but yeah i, I it looked beautiful again that that dev is called coda games for liege very interesting title Let's talk about a game. I you kind of had mixed feelings about this, uh, and it was one you sat down for, along with what was it? Three other devs. It was called Guns of Icarus, which I've actually seen before somewhere. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it was this uh, cooperative airship game. Is that right? 
So Guns of Icarus is a game that's already out on Steam, and uh, they were demoing a new mode. Um, basically, in this game, you uh, you and a, a team of some of your friends, uh, you know, they they set up to uh, you know anywhere from four to eight players are kind of piloting this blimp, and each of each of the players has a different role. Somebody is piloting the airship. Uh, two people are gunners. And uh, they can also uh, repair uh, specific uh, gun gun turrets uh, or the ship itself. And you're you're trying to work together to take down uh, these towers, other uh, enemy airships. And uh, it was a very interesting idea. Uh, I I definitely uh, applaud the devs for for trying this this kind of gameplay out. But it it didn't control super well. The mouse sensitivity was way way uh, too high for me. And uh, this is a, this is a mouse and keyboard game, uh, much in the in the style of Team Fortress Two, and uh, I think if the controls were a little tighter, a little more precise, and if there were a little, was a little more uh, better indication of what to do uh, and where to do it, uh, there doesn't seem like to be a lot of direction. Maybe I wasn't paying attention to the instructions, but uh, it seems very fat, fast paced. It seems very easy for your air, enemy uh, for your airship to go down, and the enemy airships to uh, to stand up. And uh, I think with a little better tutorials and a little tighter controls, I think this game could be really interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, this game is already out, and this is just a dem- them demoing a new mode. But definitely a game with an aesthetic that's very cool, very uh, steampunk-like. I think if you want to check it out, I believe it is on Steam Early Access. So uh, check out Guns of Icarus online. Yeah, admittedly, you played a lot more games than I did. I was mostly standing by, observing, talking to the devs, while you were playing and there was one that neither of us actually played but we were stopping to watch and looked pretty cool a game called combat core which if you've ever played power stone it is definitely inspired by that kind of kind of game this multiplayer very small arena fighter uh and it's going to be released supposedly on pc wii u and xbox one and I recommend you check out the footage because what we were looking over the shoulders of the people that were playing that game sitting around, it looked looked very fun, and I kind of regret not checking that one out. But let's talk about another game. This actually wasn't in the Indie Showcase, but has actually been at MAGFest before. It was in the arcade space, Killer Queen. And Ryan, you had mentioned this to me before that you had seen this game and and now after talking to the dev, I'm so excited to check this thing out. It's in like over 30 locations, he said, across the U.S. It's a very unique arcade game, five versus five, two different machines. Ryan, describe what Killer Queen is. So Killer Queen is kind of a five-on-five five, uh, arcade real-time strategy game, which is kind of an interesting concept. And uh, the it's called Killer Queen because you're basically playing as uh, worker bees trying to defend your hive. And uh, you can win the game in one of three ways. Uh, you can either destroy all the uh, opposing worker bees. That's called a military victory. You can win an economic victory. Some of the players on the five-on-five five team play as kind of... Uh, uh, bee drones trying to collect these these resources, trying to collect these bee eggs to put in the beehive. And if they fill the entire board, they win an economic victory. <laughs> and then the third victory, which is, of course, very hilarious, is a snail victory. So there's a snail at the bottom of the game board where uh, you, it very slowly moves from one side to another. And if one, one of the worker bees controls the snail, they can help it move along to the other side. And uh, if the snail completes its run to the other side of the, the board, 
Of course, that team wins a snail victory. Very, very fast-paced moving game. Most of the, the victories that we saw were military victories. It reminds me a lot of the arcade classic Joust. And uh, very, very fast-paced, very competitive, uh, very exciting. I, w- I would say that a lot of the audience watching that game was very hyped for this game. Yeah, where I first saw this game was in Chicago. It's appeared at a few barcades here. Of course, Cards Against Humanity, which is based out uh, here in Chicago, has uh, live-streamed some Killer Queen. Uh, very, very interesting game. If you do have a local barcade, I would recommend checking out Killer Queen. A very, very interesting concept. And kind of interesting to see a developer... Uh, go after the arcade space. It doesn't feel like there are a lot of new arcade games being made, but one with kind of such an interesting concept is really worth checking out. Yeah, very interesting. The dev team is called Bumble Bear Games, and I talked with Josh, who who spoke about it at length, and he they initially had started in New York, and he was telling us about how there are these little communities that form and they host tournaments on this game because it's such a unique thing. I mean, a five-versus-five arcade game like it's hard enough getting just two players to play at an arcade in the back of a bar and and yeah to to have 10 people all playing at once and they're standing in front of this huge machine and it's like this i want to say it's like a 42 inch monitor this like flat led screen that you're staring at so it's this huge board that you're looking at there's just so much to see and uh, both both machines are looking at the same battlefield so very unique and the way they are handling like patching that game because like not every arcade machine is connected to the internet it's very interesting and uh, the way he was describing it to me and i ha- i got his business card now i hope to get him on uh, the podcast someday so josh if you're listening we'd love to chat with you more about <laughs> killer queen just just a super super cool concept that had huge lines and i think we stopped by when a tournament was about to start so unfortunately we didn't get a chance to play it and I'm sure it'll make another appearance at MAGFest again uh, because they're, they're trying to sell that game to more and more locations, arcades, bars, restaurants, whatever. So I, I'm sure he, he's looking for more attention and, and press devoted to that game specifically. All right, Taylor, let's quickly go through the big name developers and voice actors and composers and uh, everybody involved with video games that showed up at MAGFest and uh, spoke to fans, uh, gave autograph sessions. Uh, who exactly was at MAGFest? Some big names you would recognize and some not so much, but I actually went out of my way to get a few autographs. And thankfully at MAGFest, there are only a few people that commanded like huge lines, which absolutely shocked me, like Ninja Sex Party, which I guess is like this comedy band that's huge on YouTube. And people were complaining on Reddit after the fact that they, they couldn't get their autograph. But I was actually interested in people in the actual industry like Anthony Birch, of course, one of the head writers for Borderlands 2 and former uh, Destructoid blogger, and Ashley Birch, his sister, and they both have gotten famous through their web series, Hey Ash, What You Playing? And she voiced Tiny Tina in Borderlands 2, so there were a lot of Tiny Tina fans uh, trying to get her autograph. And Wes Johnson, who's been at MAGFest for many, many years, he's a mainstay, he's local to the area, because he works with Bethesda Game Studios, based out of Maryland. So he's his voice has been in Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Oblivion. I mean, you would instantly recognize his voice if you heard it. Like Mr. Burke, the Silver Shroud, Shea O'Gorath, 
the Imperial Guard, like in Oblivion, when they stop you and they're like, Stop right there, criminal, criminal scum. scum. That's him. Nobody Lucian Lachance from the Dark Brotherhood. He voices all those characters. I love getting his autograph. I have several of them. Uh, every year I go and see him and I, and I chat him up. He, he's really a pleasure. He does great, great uh, voice acting panels at MAGFest as well. Mike Rosson, or Rosen, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but he is the voice of like literally every one of the ghouls oh, yeah. in the Fallout series, all the male ghouls. Like uh, very talented, Honestly, cool guy. Jan Johns, down. another one who's worked on uh, some Bethesda games. She's the voice of Scribe Halen in Fallout 4. And some huge, huge, huge... Uh, other people there available for autographs like KG and Afune was, had to have been like the marquee guest that was attending MAGFest. We ran into him over there by the Mega Manathon streaming event that was happening in the corner by the autographs area. And we were lucky enough to, to grab him while he wasn't too busy and just take a quick photo with him. He had a handler that was translating for him. And yeah, that was like, I was a little bit starstruck, weren't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> very kind of imposing presence, very uh, famous video game designer, of course, uh, responsible for Mega Man. And uh, of course, the more recent Mighty Number no. 9, which we're still waiting for uh, that release. But uh, yeah, he, he was uh, very excited to uh, take photos and uh, shake many fans' hands. A very storied uh, game developer from Japan. Yeah, I mean, his legacy at Capcom is, uh, without a doubt, like, I mean, it's huge. It, and it's a huge thing for MAGFest to bag someone like that to come visit, along with Manami Matsumai, who, she is the composer for the original Mega Man and more recently for Shovel Knight and Mighty Number no. 9 as well. So she has a huge legacy in the music scene. Yeah, that that is so awesome to see huge names like that. And other voice actors, I forgot to mention before, Ellen McLean, who's been there before, got her autograph last year, uh, the voice of GLaDOS in Portal, and the Team Fortress 2 uh, announcer, who I love, uh, and her husband, actually, John Patrick Lowry, who is the voice of the Team Fortress 2 sniper, and Go! a bunch of Dota That's 2 characters. So uh, very cool that both of them are, are also able to, to attend. It seems like they're going to be regulars as well. I'm assuming they're local to the area along with Wes Johnson. So it, it's really great. Like Even if you're not there with friends at MAGFest and hanging out, playing things like they have a bunch of magic tournaments and tabletop games, like free play areas, you can just go and see these huge names in gaming and music and attend their panels. If you want to wait in line for their autograph, uh, so be it. Like it, it's, it's really a great place to do that kind of thing. Well, let's wrap it up with uh, a few of the things we saw on like the main show floor in like the expo hall where all the vendors and the merch booths were at. Do you, do you remember anything specifically that stood out to you? There was a lot of cool stuff walking around. Absolutely. Uh, Fan Gamer had a booth. Uh, we bought a lot of uh, video game t-shirts. There was, of course, Video Games New York, which was uh, a very big uh, importer of Japanese games. Uh, Taylor, you bought Puyo Puyo Tetris and a white Super Smash controller from J Japan, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought the Puyo Puyo Tetris thing, that has sort of been like this like mini phenomenon made popular by GiantBomb.com, and they've been streaming it for it for a while, and it like sold out on PlayAsia on major import sites. And I thought it was a steal. I think I only paid like 50 bucks for it, which is not bad. And it, very, very cool game. 
And I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to buy a white Smash controller, which are, are kind of hard to find for the American version, but they're region-free, so... And, and it's literally the same thing, just different packaging. Uh, so I bought that from those guys. <laughs> I'm giving them a free shout-out, a free ad right there, Video Games New York. <laughs> um, there was there was a gr- another great guy that we walked by, and we were admiring his work, uh, Square Painter. He's this guy who creates these... Uh, canvas art but they're they're pixel based so famous scenes you would see in like nes or snes games and he he just blows them up maps them out and and paints them uh by hand and they're really 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 cool he's a very popular uh booth there um and and we'll put a link to his work in the show notes so you can see what we're talking about we even chatted with a, a, a great charity booth and normally we would feature them in a gg segment but Able Gamers, I remember we, we knew about them a while ago. We've talked about them on the show before. We got a chance to talk to them about what kind of work that they do, uh, how they make special controllers for the disabled so they can enjoy games like you and me, Able people. And, and it's just such a, a great thing that they're able to attend and they were selling all this merch that uh, that and you could you could uh, donate to them right there in person at magfest i have to applaud magfest for allowing some charity organizations to set up some booths over there uh definitely a cool thing to see at an event like this well that that's pretty much it ryan is there anything else you kind of want to say about the experience like tell me you want to come back maybe next year the year after anything that'll bring you back I do think I want to come back eventually uh, if there's a big name or such. There was a little bit of news. Um, Inti Creates, you know, of course, a, a company working with KG Inafune announced uh, Azure Striker Gunvolt 2. This is a sequel to a game that was released on Steam and 3DS, uh, kind of a Mega Man-style game. Uh, I'm looking forward to to that sequel coming out, uh, <laughs> potentially before Mighty Number no. 9, which is really, really crazy. I also want to quickly shout out a, a game that we saw at a panel called uh, Croatoan. That game has a really, really interesting premise. It's a uh, first-person mystery adventure game, uh, kind of in the this style of Gone Home. Uh, you, you play as this character who uh, crashes his car and enters his house and uh, trying to get back to your grandmother's house, trying to find out what happened to your grandmother. A very, very neat concept. A lot of uh, environmental puzzle solving and uh, made by a very small team. Uh, one developer has been working on it for four years and uh, a few of his uh, colleagues. And uh, very, very neat game. He says it's about uh, 80% done. Uh, but what he showed at MAGFest was very, very interesting. I look forward to that game. It's probably the first adventure game in a long time that I've been really, really interested in. And um, yeah, if if stuff like that uh, shows up at next year's MAGFest, I will definitely be interested in coming back. Yeah, what was the name of that panel? It was Don't Work By Yourself in Video Games Unless You Hate You, something like that. <laughs> I mean, he was... He was mostly demoing his game, but then chatting about the experience uh, about working uh, on this. He's part of a small, small indie developer, um, but but he works on this almost exclusively by himself. Only has uh, a, a little bit of help in animation and QAing his game. So it, that was very, very neat to see. A very packed room checking out his game. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, very impressed by what that was. Croatone seemed, seemed like a very cool thing uh, that we need to keep our eyes peeled for, definitely. Well, I mean, personally, if I had to talk about another one more highlight, we're going to give a shout out to ourselves for the gaming podcast production panel. Thanks to everyone 
who checked us out. And uh, I hope you got something from that. We were just talking about the basics of podcasting, specifically about video games, talking about best practices and, and equipment recommendations, that sort of thing. And eventually when MAGFest posts their video, they recorded a bunch of panels. Uh, we'll be sure to repost that as well from our show accounts. So uh, if you want to take a look at that and uh, and comment in the you know, on YouTube, we'd love to see what you thought of our uh, of our little panel. See if you learned anything, and uh, and it was great to go out for sure. Definitely, it was. It, I, I had attended Magfest in the past, never as a panelist, and it was very rewarding, very cool to be a part of that. Got a little special ribbon on our on our name tags, on our badges that we were walking around with. So a little bit of cred right there at the event. But other than that, yeah, yeah, just had had a great time. Definitely we'll be returning next year, covering it again. And as I mentioned before, sort of at the beginning of the show, I'll be sure to post all the interviews we did with the indie devs at the uh, Indie Video Game Showcase all throughout the weekend. So that's pretty much it. All right. If you liked our show, please subscribe and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. As always, please let us know what you think. These kinds of ratings and reviews definitely helps us out with gaining new audience members. All of our episodes, videos, articles can also be heard and seen on our site, which is 1pvs2p.com. You can check out a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah, you can definitely listen to this show and subscribe if you are not doing so right now with your favorite podcast app. And you can just subscribe directly through our site's RSS feed. It's there in the sidebar. All of our sources and videos for All About MAGFest will be posted at the link in the show notes. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1PVS2P. Or you can follow us on Twitter, which we are very active on. Uh, We'll be posting a lot of videos and photos taken from MAGFest at 1PVS2P underscore podcast on Twitter. We'd also like to thank Phonetic Hero, who was there at MAGFest also. Shout out to him for the use of his songs for our show. As always, of course, they're part of the compilation project, Chiptunes Equals Win. Also, a bunch of artists from that collaboration project were at MAGFest as well. Another big shout out to them. Thanks again for listening, and let us know. Tweet at us if you were there at MAGFest, if you even attended our panel, and if you're a new listener, if you heard about us through MAGFest, please let us know. And thanks again for listening.